Hey folks, it's Jeremy, the host of Blamo. Thanks so much for listening. This is a preview of one of our exclusive shows on Patreon. These are member-supported shows, meaning they only happen because of our incredible members and community. So check out a preview of the episode, and if you like it, consider joining us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Blamo, where we have tons of exclusive Blamo episodes, shows, our amazing Slack group, and we're adding new things for members all the time. If not, no worries, we still love you, and we literally have hundreds of episodes of Blamo all free for you to dive into. Thanks so much. Derek, Jeff, I'm so glad you all are here. Um, Welcome to Derek's show that I'm talking about. That I'm introducing. <laughs> I love it. I love that I could just suggest my way into it. Uh, actually, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I'm excited about this pod. Yeah, this will be good. Um, yeah. So this basically was started because we were doing. I had done that deep dive with Jeremy Smith about boots, and someone in the Slack was like, "Yo, you should do one about suits." And uh jeff was like yo i can talk about suits all day but here's i'm gonna, I'm gonna say this at the very beginning because then i'm gonna let you two go nuts so i've known jeff for a decade at least well over a decade and jeff obviously derek as well both you guys buy tailored clothing and more importantly have been buying tailored clothing for a very very long time and i feel like you all have figured out your style you all know all the styles incredibly well um and both of you have exceptional taste and know what you like and why you like it and i think that's a huge thing because for many people tailoring is like this lost abyss of i throw my money into you know a garbage can and i get some sort of nice jacket but i don't know if it's nice or maybe it's not or it doesn't fit me right or i paid this much for it and it still doesn't fit you know so all of this stuff there's there's a lot to discuss uh but we were basically going to chat through all the regions of tailoring and what makes each one different. Yeah. 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 And, and let's be clear. I mean, tailored clothing, you are kind of, no one buys your bespoke clothing from you. It's very hard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you have to, you have to find somebody that's you <laughs> on the other end that wants to buy your stuff. So you, you don't do it because there's like a, you know, inherent resale value of it. You do it because you're like the three of us and you just have some psychotic tendency that makes you want to collect weird archaic stuff yeah Um, very true yeah you're not going to get rich flipping your bespoke clothing (laughs) (laughs) wait before we get have any of you guys actually sold your bespoke stuff because i did at one point to a guy who somewhat fit me and um you know, it was it was not a good mix because he was like, oh, man, I didn't know you had a drop right shoulder. And I'm like, tough cookies, man. <laughs> I uh, I yeah. managed to find somebody that was my exact body type. Mm-hmm. And so I, I've never sold any of my bespoke stuff, but I've sold quite a bit of made to measure clothing. Through, and so now if I have something that I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm not wearing this. Uh, I give him I send him a text and more often than not, it works. Derek, what about you? Well, one of the upsides to, to well, I have sold some of my bespoke clothing. Um, and yeah, you get, I can't remember what I got for it, but it was a fraction Pennies. of, you know, <laughs> what, what, what I spent. Um, but one of the upsides of bespoke is that it comes with more inlays. So 
there are certain things that you'll have to watch out for, like um, the dropped right or dropped left shoulder. Um, if you have a dropped left shoulder and you buy someone with a dropped right shoulder, that's going to be very difficult to correct at an alteration shop. But if you are, let's say, just a little bit um, taller than the person, there's going to be a little bit more inlay to let out the coat so that you can you know, just get a little bit more length versus if you were to buy, um, certainly if you were to buy to low to mid-price rated wear, but even some high-end rated wear doesn't come with as much inlay as what you get in bespoke. So, um, But I agree, whenever you do it, um, what, what's sometimes called respoke, um, <laughs> it never it never quite looks as good as like the original bespoke because there's just a slight kind of like difference of you know you're buying you know a garment that was made for another body and that's not just like your chest size and your hip size it's also like your posture mm. um, where you carry some of your weight I mean it's just it's just a three dimensional figure so it's just not um. It's never exactly the same, but it can still be enjoyable. And the reality is that small differences that m- might show up on a photo are not going to be noticeable in real life. Yeah. So why why don't we start jumping through the different regions of tailoring? I think for for folks who are listening, we were going to go through Italian, English, French, and a bit of nod to uh, the American through the Japanese lens. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, for, for some background, you know, um, Jeremy and I both worked at the Armory uh, for over four years. Uh, I got to meet a lot of tailors through my time there. Uh, and for some reason, I've continued to order bespoke even after I've left the Armory and yeah. the employee discount. When you off. lost the discount, you, you, you stayed yeah. on the train, which was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I've, I've had the, the luck to be able to work with some tailors uh, and continue that, um, you know, throughout time and it's been it's been a lot of fun obviously it's kind of a an enterprise that only allows me to do that like once once a year now you know if that uh but i enjoy it so it's something that i continue to do and derek i think kind of you you've been buying it for a while as well right yeah maybe a little bit over 10 years now i've tried italian and english tailors um have not tried french but admire it online and uh yeah, a lot of this comes from just kind of experience with tailors and also just talking to people. I think when you when you know people who buy bespoke, sometimes you have much more candid and honest conversations in private than what would happen online for whatever reason people are not um as candid online about their bespoke experiences. Um so yeah, and also just kind of like noticing silhouettes, reading about silhouettes online, um talking to tailors about how they how they cut and make things has you know, kind of give me a little bit of insight into why certain things look the way they do. Yeah. All right. So walk us through, um, why don't we start, you said you've, you've worked with some Italian tailors, walk us through one of the ones that, that you've worked with maybe in, in Naples. And for folks that well, are I listening, thought- we'll, we'll send links. There'll be links in the show notes so people can actually see some of these images we're referring to as a heads up, but sorry, go ahead, Derek. I, th- I thought as a, just as a discussion, we should start with Henry Poole because you know, the, the suit is essentially a British garment. So a lot of what we talk about is, is like a baseline, a template is going to be set by British tailors. And then people can see how different tailoring houses and regions have changed that silhouette. Do you think, you think that's a good way to start? Yeah, that's Let's fair. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. 
So there's a photo of Simon Kundi, um, and he's wearing a green windowpane tweed. Um, and I think it's a very kind of like, it's a very straightforward um, English cut. It's slightly padded in the shoulder. Um, they have what they call a clean chest, which means that the, the chest is somewhat close to the body. It's not, you know, it's not a, a skin tight kind of ready to wear coat, but it's closer to the body than some of the other houses that we're going to talk about later. Um, you know, jacket ends about halfway from the collar to the floor. Um, and you know, he has some stylistic details here, like the hacking pockets, but the general silhouette is very like, this is what you think of when you think of a classic garment. The lapel is just under, um, just under halfway between the collar and the shoulder bone, which is like, it's a very classic lapel. This is something that, you know, someone could order and wear for forever. It'll always be in style, whether they want to wear it is, you know, people, fall in and out of love of tailoring and they may find that doesn't work for the lifestyle, whatever, but stylistically, this is something that would have looked good in the eighties, nineties, early two thousands now. And, um, and I think it just sets a a good template for how we think of the baseline for a suit. The only thing that I would say about pool is that, um, when we talk about the baseline, it's also not like super distinctive in terms of some of the other tailoring houses that we're talking about. Like if I saw this on the street, I would just say, oh, wow, that's like a very well-dressed person. That's a very beautiful garment. But I wouldn't immediately think, oh, that's Henry Poole. Um, yeah, and that, you you know, that, that's kind of what I find interesting. It, it's clear that, you know, this is a, a well-made garment. I, I would almost use the word like austere a little bit when it comes to British tailoring. Uh, you know, people might not be able to see, but this is in like a green and blue window pane. So it's, it's a bright fabric. It's like, it stands out. Um, but it, in cloth mostly, right. Uh, what, what you don't really realize is like what, what Derek said is like, if this was in a Navy fabric, you might not think twice about it. Um, you know, yeah. it, it has certain elements that are stylistic, but from a cut perspective, it's fairly straightforward. And this is one of the things that when I started to get into tailoring and I was looking at British tailoring, it never really jumped out at me. And then. Yeah. I mean, why would it? British tailoring is boring as a freaking (laughs) puddle of water. I mean, it's, it's sorry. But that's kind of like their, the, this, that's the, the area that they, that they have carved out for themselves. Now it's almost like they've gone into that even deeper. uh, Yeah, it is the it is the classic of classic. And I will say, as someone who likes to try to inject a lot of their personality into the clothing they wear, to be clear, British tailoring is probably the still the gold standard for business and all these, you know, and uh, and I mean this in a a loving way, a very forgettable dress, right? Like it's it's, I I will I'm going to push back on this. I'm I'm excited to push back on it. But yes, I'm excited to. Because I think one of the things that we, when we talk about like these regions is that there's, we are collapsing a ton of variation into mm-hmm. these like almost like cartoony categories. So it's sort of like saying, and I unfortunately don't know anything about anything except for clothes, but you know, if, if we were talking about cuisine or we were talking about art or something, if you go to any region, there's going to be significant variation, but in mm-hmm. order to make things, um, easy to discuss then we have to use these categories but to give an example for example you know let's go one that i will send along so i just sent a photo of um daniel day lewis in an anderson and shepherd coat 
And if you use that photo and go to the Anderson Shepard category, the last link shows Fred Astaire. Um, you can see in that in that sense, you have a little bit more drape in the chest, which is I've noticed online people use the word drape um, reasonably to to uh, refer to how fabric hangs. Um, that's one way you can use the word drape. But in tailoring, another way that you can use the word drape is um, it's a specific cut um, that was made by a Dutch English tailor named uh, Frederick Schult in the early 20th Schulte. century. Yeah, and he Schulte. And he found that um, if you belted a guardsman coat at the waist, the chest puffed up and it gave the wearer a kind of more athletic figure. And he figured a way to do that in a suit or a sport coat by cutting the chest piece, which is the internal horsehair piece that goes into the chest inside the garment to give, give it shape. He cut the chest piece on a bias, and then he cut the, the pattern, the upper part of the pattern in such a way so that... Um, excess fabric folded close to the armhole. And you can see that very clearly in, in the photo of Fred Astaire, um, especially on the, the arm where he's throwing his hat. You see that extra fabric kind of drape, draping near the armhole, and that's called the drape cut. And I think that looks, um, that's v- distinguishably, distinguishably um, British. And I have never seen another region do it as well as the Brits. Um, now we're getting the, somewhere. The most cl- the, the most classic, the most classic drape cut is uh, Schulte later on trained uh, per Anderson, who was the co-founder of Anderson and Shepard, and then at Anderson and Shepard, way down the line, um, eventually spawned other tailors such as uh, Tom Mahone, who's now the head cutter at Redmond. Um, Stephen Hitchcock is slightly, let's say, a modernized version of drape. He's the um, son of John Hitchcock, who was used to be the head cutter, now retired, um, of Anderson Shepard. His drape cut is not as drapey, but he says he can make it a little bit more drapey. And then my tailor, uh, or one of my tailors, Edwin Dubois, um, was also once the head cutter of Anderson Shepard. I'm just going to be blunt. I think he does the drape cut the best in, of all the kind of modern day tailors, including better than Anderson Shepard. The Anderson Shepard coat that I got um, in 2016, interestingly, has the uh, chest dart go all the way up to the armhole, and really? that essentially removes a lot of the the drape. It's actually a very clean fitting coat. Whereas my steeds, um, the dart ends about two inches below the armhole, which is what allows what you see in that kind of that Fred Astaire photo. The thing about the the drape cut though is that you know um, this has been debated f- forever on, among guys who are like obsessed about tailoring. You know, some people say it looks old mannish, uh, it looks messy, it's not as sleek, it's not as youthful, it's not as modern looking. I think that that's all totally true. Um, it's just whether or not you like that kind of um I just I just love that like nineteen like fifties to eighties kind of like classic drape cut look. And you see that in Daniel Day Lewis, um, in the other photo that I sent you. It's a little distorted there because he's leaning forward, which will naturally puff up the shoulder mm. um, or puff up the chest. But along the uh, along the the side of his body that ha- has light, um, you can see how there's a curve uh, formed by the way that the tailor has cut the pattern and then also inserted the chest piece so that 
it just looks like a, a more muscular kind of body underneath. And I just think that looks so good. Um, yeah, in my opinion, yeah, this, to me, this, this is where it gets interesting because um, it's actually saying something, right? And you can argue whether or not you want your tailoring to be noticeable. The, the reality is for for maybe some of the people that are listening to this, they'll understand. But most everybody else sees a suit is a suit is a suit or a jacket is a jacket is a jacket. But when you're into this stuff, these minor differences matter. And to me, this slightly older Anderson, Anderson and Shepard style, because nowadays when I see it, it, it doesn't, sometimes it looks like this, other times it doesn't. Kind of this broader chest, this broader shoulders. Um, you, you can say it's messy, but I think it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, like masculine and, and almost like aggressive in a certain way. This is saying something to me, and this is something that's interesting to me. So when I think uh, of English style, like this is where my mind tends to go to for stuff that I like. Um, the cleaner stuff, the closer fitting chests, the kind of the, the things that you would see mostly on on guardsmen, like you said, or or politicians, isn't of interest to me. It's a little flat, and that's not just English politicians, but politicians globally. It, it tends to be flat. Um, and, th- and this is, I think, way, way more interesting. I mean, my two cents yeah. on this stuff, like I-, I still think British tailoring is probably the gold standard for for what people measure tailoring against. But in my opinion, like it's I mean, I have an Anderson and Shepard. I've tried other British tailors. I- I'm someone I've said this before and other stuff. I'm very square. So, you know, most British tailoring is not very flattering on me based on just my body size. Um, you know, a lot of people, and this is stuff we can talk about too, where, you know, there's no wrong choice for bespoke tailoring, in my opinion, because you want, you want the one that's going to flatter your body the best, right? So in the sense, like, there's not like, oh, well, it's not good unless it's Italian or it's not good unless it's English or it's not, you know, it, it needs to flatter you the best. So the best example of these things, yeah, like that, that photo that you sent to Fred Astaire and funny face. Yeah. He looks amazing. And Fred Astaire was a thin little twig versus someone like Cary Grant who also wore it but he had gigantic shoulders on on his jackets to frame his head better right and gigantic so head. yeah because he had a big ass head um there's a photo of Cary Grant boxing and the homie's head looks like someone discovered photoshop <laughs> in like you know 1908 and it's Enhanced. it's yeah it's it's bizarro but like for me most British tailoring I have, and I say this again, like as a compliment, I think it's like perfectly forgettable in the sense that like that looks really good, but there's Perfect not anything that's going to really stick out to you. And, you know, it's not a pejorative thing. Like I'm not, you know, but it's, um, I don't know. I don't think, I think when you get into things like Sexton to kind of transition us is when things start to get nuts because Sexton is British. And Edward Sexton yes. of of Tommy Nutter and Nutter's on on Savile Row back in the day, they were the ones who really kind of I don't know the right word revitalized is kind of a lame word to use, but really uh, helped evolve put new and energy, push. Yeah, yeah if it, it was put the sixties or seventies, and you were famous. You probably wore Sexton at some point, right? Yeah, I mean Sexton. When people think of it, look up you know photos of Elton John. Look up Rolling Stones, you know Mick and Bianca Jagger. Jagger. Yeah, all the rock stars 
that gigantic were gigantic lapels, gigantic shoulders, big roping in the shoulders. Yeah, crazy yeah everything fabrics. is exaggerating of, of, of British tailoring. I mean, he um, used to cut pockets on the bias sometimes so that the patterns didn't match, right? And it it's yeah. Can one of you guys explain on the bias what that means? Because if people are listening to this and are figuring out that, I think that might be helpful to understand what is a bias. So 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 just think of if you have lined paper, like a lined. Um, like, you know, like paper that you would, you would write a letter on, um, mm-hmm. you have the lines going straight across and on a piece of cloth, you basically have two rows. You have the lines going straight across and then you have the lines going up and down. And when you're, when you're writing, you have the lines going straight across so they can write on, on the lines. Putting on a bias just means that you're turning it at a 45 degree angle. So that the lines are now going at a 45 degree angle. Um, and when you, um, if you were to take cloth and not all cloth will do this you you'd have to find like canvas or something but most people are not going to have that obviously but if you if you take certain cloth in your wardrobe you can sometimes tell that if you hold the fabric so that the yarns are going up and down and left and right and you tug on it it doesn't have very much give whereas Mm. if you turn on the bias if you make it the yarns go at a 45 degree angle and you tug on it it has a lot of like movement and shape and that's a way that a tailor can, um, on the chest piece, can then create that kind of roundness. Um, it's, you know, it basically has, it's like a bra, you know, it's like it, it has a certain kind of roundness to your chest that I think creates a very nice three-dimensional figure. There's another photo um, that I sent in the Anderson and Shepard set that shows Calvin Klein um, yeah. in in two images. And you can just see there's, his chest is very, very round. And that's, again, a result of the pattern cutting and then the structure inside the garment, all of that kind of uh, horsehair that's creating that kind of roundness. Um, I agree with you that if someone has a very athletic figure, in my opinion, if someone has a very athletic build or if they have very square shoulders, I personally think that they look better in a less structured coat. I think if you have a very athletic build and you have very square shoulders, even though Anderson Shepard's technically a what would reasonably be called soft tailoring, I think the padding and the structure of the garment ends up making you look a bit bulky. One of the differences between English and Italian tailoring is that the English will use the on the upper half of the body, they'll use uh, horsehair, which is the chest piece. They'll have the canvas, which goes from the shoulder down to the bottom of the hem. Um, and then they'll have a layer of felt. It's, it's, uh, it's material that stops the prickly horsehair from coming through and poking the wearer. Whereas in certain parts of Italy, you have the chest piece and just the canvas and no demet, no felt. Um, you may not even have padding in the shoulder. It may just be, or maybe very thin padding, as we'll see later in, in these photos. So when you take more of that structure out, you get one a much more natural look it looks a little bit less bulky but at the same time if you like me have sloped shoulders or you know i i like the kind of like drape cut personally because i have narrow shoulders and i want a bit of an extension so in the shoulder line which i think makes is easier to achieve that kind of v-shaped figure for the coat um, and that's much easier to do if you have a little bit of structure as we'll see in these other photos once you take the structure out, the coat ends up looking different, let's say. Um, but if you're if you have an athletic building, if you're square shoulders, that, that might work better for you because you don't want all that padding. Um, 
just depends on your body type and your taste. Yeah. And I, yeah. you know, I think it kind of leads to something that I think about. And part of the reasons, not that we're going to quite get to Italian tailoring yet, but part of the reasons that I, I gravitated towards that was because of comfort. And I, I always found in English tailoring that it was never quite as comfortable as I'd hoped. And I, I could feel, I felt the garment on me and I would think about it. Um, so I, I never gravitated towards things with structure, uh, with heavy elements internally, because I didn't want to feel my clothing. I wanted to, to feel natural in it. I didn't want to feel like I was wearing shoulder pads. I still wanted to feel powerful or, you know, pick your adjective. Um, but that's ultimately why I never really gravitated towards English tailors. It, it wasn't necessarily because the look was boring because as we just talked about, like there's plenty of English tailors that are doing interesting things. Um, and mainly it was that comfort factor. Um, I'm curious, Derek, you know, if, if you've experienced that or Jeremy, you know, if you guys have experienced what kind of led you to Italian tailoring. I find that, um, Italian clothes sit closer on my body because there's no structure which then makes it a little bit more constrictive. And, and I'm aware of it in different ways. Whereas my uh, steed stuff sits further away from my body. So while it's heavier, um, it almost feels like it's floating off my body a little bit. I don't think about it as much. Um, but, you know, it's... I, I, I should also note that, you know, tailors also have some flexibility, right? Like if you... It, it's somewhat of a misnomer to like categorize these people to particularly because if you were to go to a tailor and you just want a slightly larger garment, I mean, it's bespoke, you just tell your tailor to make you slightly extended shoulder or whatever. Um, but generally speaking, I find some Italian stuff, the stuff that I got from Napoli Sumisura, stuff that I've gotten from Salido, it tends it's all to sit closer that, to me. That, yeah, yeah. Na Na yeah, Naples fits close, and that's kind of, that's part of the style, which I guess we'll get into. Want to hear the rest? Listen to the full episode and many more other exclusive episodes over on our Patreon. Visit patreon.com forward slash Blamo to sign up and join the Blam fam. You also get access to our exclusive members only Slack group where we chat about this and a ton of other things. So head over to patreon.com forward slash Blamo and we'll see you there.